Hey there, it's Kate Scott, host of a new podcast called The Update, with our aim being to get you up to date. Get it on the most interesting Bay Area sports stories of the moment and beyond, from interviews with the folks at the heart of those stories. It's quick, 20 minutes or less, comes out three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's there in time for your morning commute. So check it out on Apple Podcasts or the Athletic app. It's called The Update, hosted by me, Kate Scott. Hope to talk to you again real soon. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 as always, everybody, to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Run the Film. I'm Kirk Morrison, alongside my partner, Ted Nguyen. And man, this is the football podcast that you love, that you love to get into it in terms of how we break the games down, how we talk different players, and we cover the news and notes of the National Football League. But first, Ted, we got to start with some of the, I guess we call it breaking news or news of the day in terms of these coaching hires around the National Football League. We knew that there was going to be some openings and the new coachings, uh, I guess, opening. There are going to be five new head coaches, right? Five teams that are going to have new coaches. The Cleveland Browns, the Carolina Panthers, the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants, and the Washington Redskins. Of those five teams, four jobs are now filled, Ted. They are now filled. There's one team that's still left without a head coach. That's the Cleveland Browns. But the other four teams have now all selected their coaches. The Carolina Panthers, they made Matt Rule, the Baylor head coach, their new coach on a seven-year, $60 million deal that could go up to $70 million. The Dallas Cowboys, they tapped former Green Bay Packers coach Mike McCarthy as their new coach. The New York Giants went sort of the unconventional route, I would say, or maybe kind of an unknown to the coaching ranks in terms of the head coaching opportunity. But the New York Giants make Joe Judge, the special teams coordinator, wide receiver coach of the New England Patriots, their next head coach in Washington. Yes, the Washington Redskins, they make former Carolina Panthers head coach Ron Rivera, their new head coach. So that's a lot there, Ted, to kind of start the pod, man. But those jobs are filled, and I'll give you the floor to say which. I mean, what do you think? How you feeling about these hires? Well, you know, I think with the Rivera hire, it's a good hire for the Redskins because you know that's a franchise that just needs some stability uh, and some credibility. And you know, Rivera obviously is one of the most well liked, well respected coaches in the league. Uh, hired Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator, and he has a reputation of being able to turn around defenses. Uh, he didn't really do that in Oakland, but as a defensive coordinator, he has he has a good good rep. Uh, I really like their hire for OC uh, with Scott Turner as their offensive coordinator. Obviously, Turner worked under Rivera uh, with the Carolina Panthers under his dad, Norv Turner, but I, I really liked a lot of the things that the Carolina Panthers did offensively. Uh, I thought they were really creative, and Scott has a lot to do with play design. Uh, so with that staff, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty pretty solid staff for uh, the, the Redskins. 
Yeah, I, I like that one too. They, they they tabbed the former Raiders head coach and my former coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jack Del Rio as a D coordinator. So a little bit of familiarity there along that staff. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys with Mike McCarthy. To me, I'm a little, um, I don't know yet, right? I'm still trying to figure it out because you got a head coach who's really, he's had to work with two, of, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, let's be honest, right? When he was in Green Bay, Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers, two guys who we know will be in Canton. So how does he taper his new game plan, right, to Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper? What is that going to look like? Could this make him a better coach where he doesn't have to rely on one guy, right? Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers made those teams great for long periods of time. Um, he doesn't have that. So I wonder what his coaching style is going to look like. Uh, when it comes to the Carolina Panthers and their hiring of Matt Rule, um, you know, I do college football. And throughout the last two years, this is what this is kind of what's been said that Matt Rule was the next best head coach going into the NFL. And the reason why I say that is because I've had Tempo the last couple of years in the bowl games, right? I had him in the, in the Independence Bowl last year and in this past season had them in the military bowl. And every time I sit down with everyone from Temple, they always tell me, man, Matt Rule changed our program. He changed our mindset. He changed our thinking. The way that we fought around here, it was a basketball school, right? No longer. That is a football factory right now. The way that Temple has played, they're hard nosed, they're gritty. But a lot of those, I mean, a lot of those reasons are because of Matt Rule. And they said when he gets an opportunity, trust me, he will succeed. And I've been hearing that for like the last two years. And finally, Look, the Carolina Panthers and David Tepper, their owner, tabbed him as their new head coach, and I believe he is going to work. He brings a, just a different attitude, right? Think about what he did at Baylor, though. I mean, we talk about Temple, but at Baylor, I mean, that team was pretty much everybody had transferred. Remember, everybody had left, and literally this team was playing in a conference championship this season. Wow. Uh, that's That, to me, is a good hire for Carolina. I want to see how does that work. And then the, the last coaching hire is one that – a lot of people are skeptical about Ted and I would only give this positive sentiment on this, right? And this is for the New York giants who hired Joe judge, who was the wide receiver special teams coordinator with the New England Patriots. If there is one person, and if you ask me, Ted Kirk, you're the owner of this team and you could hire a head coach, what head coach or what kind of, I guess side of the ball would you look to hire as your head coach? And I would stop you right there, Ted, and say, I don't know if I would go with a side of the ball. I would actually go with the special teams coordinator. The special teams coordinator as a head coach, that to me, people need to look more into because they know the pulse of a team. Everyone talks to the special teams coach. The special teams coach is probably one of the best evaluators of talent because they have to put the best players in the right situations and they know what players can do and what they can't do, but also they get the pulse of the team. And, you know, a couple of my buddies asked me about it earlier about the judge hire. And I said, look, I said, first of all, just understand this. John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator. And when you look at what he did or what he actually is still doing with the Baltimore Ravens, he is one of the most beloved coaches right? Because he understands the relationships between coach and player. We've seen him talk and interact with Lamar Jackson. Those are the kind of things that special teams coordinators do consistently all week long. 
they have the pulse of the team. They know what's going on a lot more sometimes than I think a head coach. So I think that is the positive that the New York Giants can take from this head coaching hire. And we'll see kind of if it works out, Ted. Yeah, because they, I mean, a special team coach, they're almost running their own little mini team Absolutely. within the team. Absolutely. And they also. And they also do a good job of thinking outside the box, too, because with special teams, there's less of a template than you would have on offense and defense. Uh, on special teams, you know, you're, you're doing your own thing, especially with the Patriots. They, they do so many different things on special teams, and their special teams have been elite throughout the years. Probably the best in the league throughout the years is one of the advantages they have on everyone else. And if Joe Judge really is responsible for that then of course you want to hire a guy like that and you know talking about thinking outside the box look what J- john harbaugh has been able to do with the ravens because he thought outside the box uh and, and judge has a reputation of being a disciplinarian a, a tough coach uh that demands a lot of, of his players and i think the giants really need that i, I think there were some rumors about Shermer just being a little too soft uh, as a coach so maybe that will be welcomed uh with the giants so uh, you know i like this hire and I, you can't make too big of a judgment on it because you know right. if people are honest, you don't, nobody really knows anything about Joe Judge. They just don't like the name because they don't know the name. Um, so, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think special teams coaches should get a, a better look. And some people are up in arms about the contract that Matt Rule got, uh, but you know, like there's no coaching set. There's no salary cap on coaches <laughs> right so if you want to coach go and pay him and you know matt rule was getting a lot of looks from different teams right. he was in high demand so you know if you want to coach go get him pay pay him what he you know what he wants there's no cap well <laughs> you got to remember too i think in a lot of these coaches especially a hot coach like matt rule the thing is they're in a good situation he was at baylor he's like i'm fine here I'm recruiting. I, I got everything going for me. I was just in the conference championship. I got my quarterback coming back next year. I got, I got a lot going for me here at Baylor. But if you want to entertain me, right, if I should entertain any of these offers, first of all, we're starting at six years. I mean, sorry, seven years, right? Like, because we saw the six-year contract given to Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch, right, from the 49ers. That was a level of commitment that, hey, if you want me – I, I don't start anywhere unless we start at six years and my general manager starts at six years. There's no way that he gets an extra year and we're sitting here and I'm a lame duck. No. And so I like the way that the Carolina Panthers are doing business, right? This is David Tepper, the new owner doing business a little bit differently. Right. So it's, it's kind of fun to see. And I think my last thing on this, Ted, is what happened to the John Gruden 10 year, $100 million contract. Have we forgotten about that already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. He gave out 10 years, 100 million, and people are forgetting about it. So, look, hey, man, you got to get what you're worth. And I think Matt Rule, uh, one of the good hires. And so, right now, there's still one team left the Cleveland Browns, still looking for a head coach. We'll see which way they decide to go. But we had a great weekend of football, the wild card weekend last weekend, Ted. And man, it surprised us in some ways. And some ways, we kind of saw some things coming. And and we predicted a couple of victories as well, but enough from hearing it from us. How about we join? We'll be joined right now by the athletic NFL writer, Shield Kapedia. He'll give us his take right now on just what he saw last week that maybe me and Ted might have missed in last week's games in the wild card round. And Shield, we can kind of just start right there. Uh, Bills and Texans, right? Last week, just the wild card round. 
Um, that was the first game that we saw. And literally, me and Ted usually break we break these games down, Shil, in, in a way in which we, we try to find something that we may have missed. So as I presented to you in the Bills' loss to the Texans 19 to 12 or 22 to 19, Regardless if we're down 16 0, 7 0, I'm gonna keep fighting, I'm gonna keep playing. That's just me. You know, I, I, I play the game, I don't never look at the scoreboard. I just keep fighting. And, you know, I've been told, especially at a young age, and especially that, you know, when I was in college, Dabo used to always tell us, regardless if we're up or if we're down, you know, don't never look at the scoreboard. Keep fighting, keep pushing forward, and every drive, you're gonna, you know, at the end of the day, you're gonna look up at the scoreboard and you're gonna be where you wanna be at. So, and that's what we did, and we kept fighting. The game is never over, and anything can happen, especially in the NFL. So uh, we just kept pushing for it. There were a lot of people that were questioning it or calling me crazy or telling me that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but nobody knows what those feelings feel like, and nobody knows what it's like to be a part of a group of guys like we have in that locker room. So quite frankly, I don't really care what anybody else says. I did it for those moments right out there. and. Uh, it was a hell of a feeling. What did we miss in this game, or what stood out to you most about this matchup? That game was a blur, wasn't it? It was like <laughs> right. you, th you thought it was over maybe like five different times, and you didn't know what was going on, and the Texans don't score until the very end of the third quarter. You know what? One thing that kind of caught my I was uh, I I'm very interested in the in-game decision-making of the coaches and you know, kind of look at that throughout the season. And Sean McDermott all year, I loved the way he coached that Bills team. I thought they were always well-prepared. They always played hard, and they were always very aggressive. Like, they would, you know, go for it on fourth down, or if they had a shot to, you know, take a shot at the end zone before kicking a field goal, they would do that. And I thought watching this game, you know, they were up 16 nothing, and there were a couple sequences that stood out. One was the end of the first half. Uh, you know, they were in Houston territory. They had a shot to take a at the end zone, I thought, with about 30 seconds left, and they just kind of ran the ball and kicked a field goal. So that surprised me a little bit. And then in the second half, there was a time where I think they had a fourth and four, a fourth and five in Houston territory. And I, I understand kind of, you know, the thinking there, but that was a situation where for most of the season, McDermott would have been aggressive and gone for it and really tried to kind of keep the ball, put more points on the board. So uh, I thought he got a little bit away from his identity and kind of what got the bill to that point. You know, I think the next thing I wanted to ask you about was honestly about Josh Allen, his performance before we go to the Texans. But Josh Allen and his first playoff game was 24, 46, 264 yards, the zero touchdowns. But how do you say the young second year quarterback looked in his first playoff outing? You know, early on, it was kind of encouraging, I thought. They they had the design quarterback sweep. He picked up uh, some good yardage there. They, they got a lead, but it really felt like as the game went on and kind of as it got tight in the fourth quarter and overtime that, you know, he really was making, so I, I thought, some bad decisions. I mean, that lateral... Uh, or I don't know if it ended up being a lateral or not, but I was just like, uh, my my jaw dropped on that. I was like, what is he doing in this spot? And I certainly thought, you know, he, he's going to miss some throws. I don't think he's ever going to be a, a highly accurate quarterback, but I just thought some of his decision-making kind of as the game went on, uh, he struggled a little bit. He did make some good third down throws, but certainly you could tell that, you know, whether it was the fact that it was his first playoff game or what, um, it seemed like he was in panic mode there down the stretch yeah and I mean the narrative of the game would totally change if 
they, the Texans didn't drop two interceptions for, um, you know, against Allen. And do you, th- what do you think of this Texas defense? Do you think they've really improved now that they have some stability in a secondary, or do you think they just took advantage of a young Josh Allen? You know, I, I'm not really buying into them and, you know, kind of ghost, I guess, looking ahead to this week and the chiefs, but I mean, they give up 24 first downs, 425 yards in that game. Uh, you know, and, and like you said, I think Josh Allen probably left some plays on the field there. Now, obviously JJ Watt makes a big impact. He played 52 snaps. You could see his impact in that game. He's lining up in different spots. He was giving them uh, a lot of issues. And I also think it just helps that pass rush unit as a whole, you know, Whitney merciless, you can really look at his split sort of when he's playing with JJ Watt on the field and when Watts off the field, and he's really a much better player when he's got that help up front. So, you know, I think they've really got to rely on kind of turnovers. I don't think they're kind of a sound defense that's going to force a bunch of three and outs throughout the course of the game. They really need a couple of those big plays to be effective. The athletic NFL writer, Shio Kapadia joining the run the film podcast here on the athletic podcast network. And Shio, my next question would be just Deshaun Watson, right? And, and I know that the Houston Texans are still in the playoffs, right? They still have an opportunity uh, still to get to a conference championship game, to get to a possible Super Bowl. But I look at Deshaun Watson and I look at this team and I say, man, where would they be without Deshaun Watson? Right. And so now for me, I'm always thinking ahead, Shield. I'm always thinking about, hey, when this season does end for the Houston Texans, what do they do about the contract of a Deshaun Watson who's eligible for these big money deals that we saw Jared Goff get? We saw Carson Wentz get. And if they don't hurry and beat the Kansas City Chiefs, they could have a situation on their hands. And I'm looking at the game and I'm saying, God, Lee, if there's an MVP of this team, it is Deshaun Watson by far and away. What do they do when the season is over? There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's one of the guys who I think if you like replaced him with a league average quarterback, this team would just be in so much trouble. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, maybe Russell Wilson, um, obviously you can say Lamar Jackson this year. There's probably a handful of guys who are just responsible uh, for carrying their teams. And I mean, that's what happened here. I mean, I, I know they, they made some um, X's and O's changes. They moved Deandre Hopkins outside there, I think in the second half and that helped, but yeah, he just got to carry them week in and week out. I, I mean, if I'm the Texans, I'm not hesitating. I'm paying that guy. You're going to have to pay him top three, top five, quarterback money but uh, I think he's deserving of that but I think just looking at it from a big picture perspective they've got to do such a better job of kind of building around him forming an identity of their team and not really wasting the prime years of him as a quarterback and just uh last question about the Texans you know looking back at their offseason trade for uh Laramie Tunsil uh, and, and Kenny Stills, you know, knowing that they are in the divisional round of the playoffs now, h- how would you grade out that trade now? I mean, it's it's always funny when you have a coach making these decisions because, like, he does not care about the long-term interests of the franchise, you know? Like, I don't know if you want to call them YOLO moves or whatever, but he's like, get me the best players on this roster for the next three to five months, and we're going to make a run at it. And so, uh, you know, I, I definitely thought they needed to upgrade the, the offensive line. I thought it was a pretty uh, steep price they paid for Tunsil and, you know, you get, you get uh, Kenny Stills in that deal. The clowny move to me was the one that I questioned more just because they got so little in return. And, you know, 
even if they weren't going to sign Clowney to a huge contract, I think if you had him right now, you know, you'd probably be feeling a lot better about that defense with him and Watt and Merciless going into Kansas City. So uh, I don't trust their organizational plan. Um, but if you're looking at those moves in a vacuum, you know, they, they did get themselves at least kind of a left tackle who Watson can play with uh, for a long time now. Yeah, and they got their opportunity to go up against the Chiefs this week. And they have an opportunity to win again, which they've already done earlier this season. But as we shift Shield to the other matchup of the wild card round in the AFC, it was the upset, I think, of the weekend with the Tennessee Titans going into Foxborough and beating the New England Patriots 20-13. to I just said that, you know, at the end of camp, I was saying, why not us? You know, I don't think nobody expected nothing from us underdog mentality but just stay hungry just keep believing in each other all of us in that building all of us together we want to make it happen no matter what anybody writes what anybody says we don't want to go out there and do it each and every day you know each practice each play just keep believing in each other you know that's what we're going to keep that same mentality to keep working i think our players were just they were ready to go our coaching staff did a great job to have them prepared you know i told them to win the game you're going to have to be mentally and physically uh, exhausted you know to, to win this football game we didn't hand them anything. That, that was the one thing that uh, they feast on bad football. We didn't hand them anything. You know, I don't think our guys spent too much time staring up at those banners. Um, this is a Mike Vrabel-led team that throughout the season we saw ups and downs, but they made probably the biggest decision of the year, I think, of all the decisions that were made by saying, you know what, Marcus Mariota, you're a great kid, but right now you don't help us win football games. They go to Ryan Tannehill. Sort of the rest is history. Now, he didn't have a great game uh, in this wild card round versus the Patriots. Only 8 of 15, 72 yards, a touchdown and an interception. But what stood out to you most about what the Titans were able to do against this New England Patriots team in general? Yeah, I mean, if you would have said before the weekend, Tannehill's going to have eight completions in Foxborough. <laughs> I mean, really, what score would we all have predicted? We would have right. said at least a two-touchdown win uh, for New England. But, you know, it, it seemed to me, and I, and I haven't gone through the film of this game, but watching it live, it just felt like Belichick said, we're going to take away that play-action game. You know, we are not going to bite, and we're not going to give up plays downfield, and we're going to bottle up A.J. Brown. And if you want to string together these methodical drives with Derrick Henry, go ahead. And and Henry was terrific, no doubt about it, 182 rushing yards. But really, you know, offensively, the Titans only really put together two drives, you know, right. the, the, the mm -hmm. entire game. It's not – so I, I think the Patriots' game plan was sound there. But, you know, from the other end of it, New England was – just they, is the story of their season. They couldn't get anything going offensively. They don't have the weapons, protection, Brady, whatever you want to say. And, uh, you know, we've, we've watched it all season. We thought maybe they'd be able to find some of that magic here in the playoffs. They had a, a good showing in week 16 against the bills, but really that was the Patriots offense. We've watched for much of the season. Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, the real story, you know, isn't the Titans offense. It was the Titans defense that really held down, uh, Tom Brady and that that offense that that was struggling, but they went into New England just totally shut them down, and it seemed like they had a beat on what New England was going to do. I mean, there there were so many play action plays where the Patriots, you know, they run their their famous little guard pull protection, and Brady's so good with their handoffs, but right off the snap of the ball, it seemed like those linebackers 
were backing off right into where uh, New England wanted to attack in their play-action game. Did, did you notice that? And do you think that maybe Vrabel might have had a tell? Or do you think the players had, had a tell on the field? I didn't notice it until you tweeted it out, Ted. And I thought it was a great uh, great observation when when you were showing some of those clips. And yeah, it did feel that way. Because if you look at that uh, that game, the Patriots won against the Bills in Week 16. Like I think it was Tom Brady's highest play-action yardage total of the entire season. And it was like, okay, well maybe this is something they could rely on in the off season, but you're absolutely right that it seemed like the Titans, whether there was a tell, uh, whether it goes back to Belichick facing his uh, former coaches and players, whatever. And you look at his record against those guys compared to the rest of the league. But yeah, there, you know, the Titans defense overall this season, they've been kind of up and down. If you look at all the statistics, they've been, pretty mediocre but uh they played certainly really well in that game and uh were not fooled by anything that the patriots threw at them yeah was it sure was it more of tom brady uh sore list i guess father time catching up with him or you just look at his group of skill position players right it just seems to me that throughout the season we were like oh man it doesn't look the same and then we got to the end of the season. I was like, man, I don't know who's the go-to guy. And then we got to the playoffs, and it just this it just looked different. There was not one guy to me that I said, well, you got to stop this guy because it seemed that everybody was just being covered and blanketed. And even Julian Edelman and his you know his position, I mean his pivot routes, none of that stuff was working. And I felt that teams were just saying, you know what, we're going to play man-to-man defense and load up and try to stop the run. And I thought that that's what the Tennessee Titans did. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And really this goes back to the off season and like the Patriots were telling us that this was a problem. You know, they, right. they, dra- they draft Nikhil Harry uh, in the first round. They try to sign, they do sign Antonio Brown and then get rid of him. They trade for Mohamed Sanu. I mean, they were making move after move that said, we know we need to get more weapons. And I, I think their thinking really was maybe all these moves won't work out, but if one of them works out, if two of them work out, then you combine that with Edelman and maybe uh, we get a surprise with one of the younger guys and we can piece our way through this with scheme and with Brady smarts. And it just didn't end up being the case. I mean, they had no weapons. I think certainly Brady, there were times this season where whether it was accuracy or, uh, you know, he, he obviously isn't going to be able to move as well as he did. Um, not not that he was ever a mobile guy, but you know what I mean, just that movement in the pocket. And then combine those things with the offensive line wasn't as good uh, this year. So you throw all those things together, and it really led to what is their worst offense in uh, a decade, a decade plus. Who, who knows how far you want to go back? Hey, it's funny because the, the Patriots are so good at drafting every other position but for some reason they really struggle yeah. drafting wide receivers i mean you know it, it goes back a, a long time but every receiver they they've had they've got through free agency or trades uh but i mean they drafted to kill harry in the first round and he might end up being good but you know i i wrote that he really struggles against press coverage um and, and that's what kind of doomed him um in this game he just couldn't get away from press and they had an opportunity to draft A.J. Brown, McLaurin, Metcalf, all those guys. You know, I and a lot of other guys had ranked higher than and Harry. It's, it's kind of a, a weird thing with the Patriots. Yeah, maybe he needs to call Kevin Colbert or, I, I don't know, go go to the Steelers and find out what they do. But, yeah, I, I remember every time I watch Harry, Ted, I was thinking of, you know, your draft write-ups in the spring and, you know, 
every guy has different skill sets. Some are contested catch guys. Some are yards after the catch guys. But it always does make me nervous when one of the things about a college wide receiver is, you know, he may have trouble separating in the NFL or he can't get off press. I mean, those things, when they happen in college, it, it feels like those would be tough to correct when you're getting to the NFL and, you know, facing kind of the elite cornerbacks. NFL writer for the Athletic, Shil Kapadia, joining us here. And look, Shil, I think when we shift to the NFC, um, I think the, the biggest winner of the weekend was Kirk Cousins. That's how we've won all year, team, right? Yeah. Man, you held him to 20 points, man. You gave us a chance at the end. But I got three words for you. You like that? You know, they said he can't win a playoff game. He can't do this. Uh, he's only been in two, so he's 50%. You know, that's better than a lot of people. So I thought he played really well today. You know, he took good care of the ball. He made good decisions. Uh, you know, they had some heat on us, and so he had to make some great, great decisions. You know, it's good. He's got to go out and prove it again next week, just like we all do. All right, his Minnesota Vikings, they go into New Orleans, and that was a tough place to play. And we just, for me, I, I, I really have my dark horse NFC champion was the New Orleans Saints. Well, we know that is no longer the case as the Vikings go in. They went 26-20 in overtime. What did this win or what did you see from Kirk Cousins in this game that really, I think, stood out or may change the opinions of many people? Yeah, I was with you. I thought the Saints had a great shot to get uh, to the Super Bowl. You know, I, I thought they were going to handle business uh, against the Vikings in the first round. I thought that had a good chance to be a blowout. But, you know, I was reading a story from our Vikings writer, uh, Chad Graff, on The Athletic had a really good story. We're basically saying when the Vikings got the ball in overtime, Mike Zimmer went to the OC, Kevin Stefanski, and was like, go win the game, you know. And it, it, it that was interesting because Zimmer has been such a conservative coach. You know, he hasn't wanted the offense to lose games for him. He doesn't want them to turn the ball over. He wants to run the football. I mean, he fired an offensive coordinator last year because they weren't running the football enough. And so for him to say that in that spot, I thought was, uh, was kind of, I don't know if you call it good growth development, um, whether he just was feeling the moment or what, but you know, that, that was a good sign for them. And then, then they dial up that shot play to Adam Thielen and like, yeah, that's the play. It, like that's the biggest player, Kirk Cousins career to this mm. point. I, I mean, yeah. what a, what a throw in that spot. And then he finishes the drive with the, with kind of the fade to Rudolph there in the end zone. It's a sequence I didn't see coming. And now you kind of wonder, you know, does that build confidence? Does it get the monkey off his back? And do they play loosely uh, going up the, this week against the 49ers? Yeah. And, I mean, so do you believe in Kirk Cousins now? Do you think he's kind of turned that leaf, and do you think he can win a, a big game in San Francisco? I mean, it's certainly going to be tough, and you look at it overall, and I, I know it's always um, – it's so controversial to have any conversation about uh, about Kirk Cousins, but really the narrative that was out there, and it was cliched and all that, but it did fit. You know, if you kind of looked at the numbers with him um, against the bad teams or when the Vikings were favored or when maybe the spotlight wasn't big compared to uh, some of those big spots, it did fit. There were some exceptions. You know, there were some Monday night losses where he played really well, but his team ended up losing. Uh, I don't know, to be quite honest. I kind of I need to dig deep into this game and, and come up with an opinion. You know, you don't want to react 
too strongly to what happened in the wild card round because we see it every year where a team plays well in the wild card round and then gets blown out in the divisional round. But I don't think this Vikings team is to be taken lightly. You know, if you look at kind of all the advanced metrics, uh, they were one of the most balanced teams in terms of finishing in the top 10 in efficiency, both offensively and de defensively. It was them, the Ravens and the 49ers were the only three teams who did that during the regular season. So I, I don't think they're going to be a pushover. I don't know that all the matchups work in their favor against the 49ers, who I think are really good, but uh, I, I think they can be competitive. You know, Shil, what do we what do we think of the uh, New Orleans Saints now and, and, and Drew Brees? This team, like you mentioned, we all thought they were going to win. They lose at home three years in a row of straight heartbreak. What do we make of this New Orleans Saints team now? It's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers era with the Packers, in mm. my opinion, where you look back on it and you say, like, how? How how they only get one? You know, even mm -hmm. the Peyton Manning Colts years and um it every year the saints have had a good offense there were years where the defense couldn't quite catch up but it just feels like if they take a step back and look at this era with drew Brees and sean payton uh, you know it it feels stupid to say that it feels like a disappointment but it almost feels like they should have accomplished more and Brees was terrific during the regular season they were they won 12 of 14 games down the stretch you know i, I really thought things were set up for them nicely with this path in the NFC. But yeah, now Breeze is going to be a year older. He's a free agent, so they have to get his contract figured out. I mean, I would assume he just comes back and they they sort of run it back here. But I, I don't know. They need to kind of study what's happened to them in the postseason and why it hasn't looked the same as it has in the regular season many of these years. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like in, in the playoffs, teams really try to challenge Breeze to beat them deep. And, you know, in the last couple of years, I don't remember – I don't remember a real uh, time in this game where he, he just couldn't hit a receiver deep. But, you know, the, in the last couple playoff runs, there were missed opportunities deep because Breeze just couldn't hit him. And, you know, they even put Taysom Hill in a game to, to throw deep in, at one part. So I, I wonder if that has to do with it. And, and I, I also wonder if maybe they get a, a true number two receiver to go in that offense. Maybe that alleviates some of the problem because, I you know, I know the Saints, they've been looking for a number two for a long time. They just can't find one i mean if you were in charge of saints would you give breeze another year and maybe go look for a number two for him yeah you move on yeah no i would i wouldn't react too harshly to what happened in the postseason i mean his numbers and maybe i, I thought it was going to help him that he got injured earlier in the year and kind of got four or five weeks where he wasn't taking that pounding and uh wasn't making those throws during the game and also their offensive line was a big surprise in this game. I mean, it, it had been good all season long. And then the Vikings, uh, credit to Mike Zimmer with that schematic change of moving Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter inside on some of those key passing downs and getting matchups with the, with the guards and the center and those interior linemen that seemed to really pay off for the Vikings. But I, I think if you can protect, uh, Drew Brees. And yeah, I think you're right. If you get kind of a vertical threat, a speedy guy to combine with Kamara and Michael Thomas, you know, that they should still be, uh, I think, an effective team next year. You know, before we re review our last game of the wild card weekend, uh, there's one guy, I think, of this entire weekend that either made himself a ton of money or he gave some guys some opportunities from the collegiate level for what he's been able to do. But what do we do with Taysom Hill? Because he is a weapon, whether it's special teams, we saw him throw the football this uh, in the wild card round. He does so much for this team, and I feel like why aren't other teams having a guy like this 
that they can utilize that's to me just more than just a, a special team or a quarterback. He's a true weapon. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question, and it feels like one of those things where it's got to be the right player and the right coach and the right scheme. You know, you could see uh, Taysom Hill going to another team and them just have, you know, they think they have an idea what to do with them, and then right. all of a sudden <laughs> it doesn't look the same. And, I mean, we'll see. I think he's a free agent, I believe, so we'll see if a team gives him a shot to play quarterback, you know, whether it's um, – someone who's thinking like Greg Roman or, you know, thinking, Hey, we can kind of really craft an offense around this guy, but uh, he's older, I think, than, than people would think. I don't know. I, I think he's in his late twenties uh, r- right now. So um, it feels like now's the time in his career where if he wants a chance to kind of really play and be an every down player, it'll be interesting to see if he, if he finds a pair pairing with a coach this off season. No, I'm just saying I actually play with a guy. See, people think it takes him Hill now, but I actually played with Brad Smith who was kind of one of the first guys to do that. The former quarterback at Missouri played with the Jets for a long time. He was a returner, a quarterback, wide receiver, even took some snaps uh, at at running back. So he was kind of a Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill. And I was what Rex Ryan was, was the uh, head coach over with the New York Jets. Go ahead, Ted. Huh? No, I was going to say, I wanted to bring Tim Tebow back and play him that role. I feel like he's perfect for that role. He didn't you know? want he didn't want that smoke. He didn't <laughs> yeah. want that smoke. No, Tim Tebow didn't. He actually, they actually, I forget what team uh, it was, but they actually wanted him to play uh, sort of like that. I think it maybe have been the Jets in another team. And he was just like, no, that's it's not for me. He always wanted to be the a quarterback, and he could have been so much more. So yeah, yeah, I think even during the broadcast, they might have said that like Sean Payton might have reached Sean, out to yeah, him at it one might point. Have been. Correct, make, yeah. Make, make him uh, Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill, but the guy's got to want to do it, I guess. And yeah, you're right; he never had any interest in doing that. Unreal, unreal. And look, your last uh, last game, we just wanted to get your thoughts on was the uh, Seahawks and, and Eagles, right? I think the whole football game uh, was really the third downs. Um, we did great on third down uh, on offense and, and had a big night on defense. And this was this was a really highly ranked third down offense and defense from Philadelphia. So take a lot of pride in that. They're four, ranked fourth or something in both. So that's a good deal for us to get that done. And really, that's what kept us going. And the big conversions, big, big plays by Russ. How Russ was spectacular tonight. Uh, and, and moving around and finding guys when we really needed crucial situations. You know, we felt like with the play action and stuff like that and me moving around a little bit every every once in a while would be a good thing too. We knew that they're a very aggressive defense. They've always been. Uh, they're ex- extremely, they coached extremely well. They're great players. And so you just had to find ways to make plays, you know, and, and in terms of me moving uh, in certain situations, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to throw it, you know, but if it's not there, you know, it's time to get something positive. And we were able to get some positive runs in that situation. I think a lot of us felt the Seahawks uh, had a great opportunity to go into uh, Philadelphia and win the game. Philadelphia was just banged up. We knew it. But at the end of the day, it was Russell Wilson doing Russell Wilson type things. And Carson Wentz obviously gets injured in the first quarter. And we knew that game was just going to be uh, it's going to be a tough hill to climb for the Philadelphia Eagles. So even though Seattle won the game 17 to nine, what was your kind of thoughts on the way that game went down? Yeah, this was the game I kind of covered live here in Philadelphia. And it was just, you know, the air went out of the building when uh, Clowney hits Wentz there. And then he starts walking in, you know, to the medical tent and walks inside. The game really felt over there. And it was sort of surprising that the Eagles were able to hang in there. But I think you hit it on the other uh, other side of the ball. You know, the Eagles uh, going up against Russell Wilson. I mean, he converted so many third and longs in this game 
that it was just kind of vintage Russell Wilson where, you know, if they were playing man coverage with a spy, he would just kind of stick in the pocket and he would make a good throw downfield. And then when they were uh, playing zone, he was able to sort of buy time and make those plays outside of the structure of the offense, those second reaction plays. So, uh, you know, it's funny, the Seahawks, it's like they can never, they'll never get blown. They don't get blown out and they can't put teams away. You know, it's just, they're destined to play these games where, all right, in the final four, minutes it's going to come down to something crazy happening one way or another but uh you know their pass rush to me is kind of the thing to watch here going forward because it hasn't been good for most of the season in this game i think they had uh they had seven sacks where they were able to uh force josh mccown to kind of hold on to the football you, you obviously have to take into account that it was a backup quarterback but i think they really need that pass rush to be good because i i don't think they're good enough defensively there uh on the back end to to cover guys up uh enough to be, to be good defensively without a good pass rush yeah and you know, you, you sort of mentioned it, but the, the C, I'm, I'm guessing the Seahawks probably have the worst point differential of all the playoff teams. Uh, I, I know they had a really low one coming into the playoffs, but I would assume it's probably the the worst. And it, it's it's sort of weird. They just keep getting all these breaks. And, you know, you don't want to say Carson Wentz injury was, a, was another break. But, I mean, if Carson plays, it probably is a totally different game. Uh, do you think that this, you know, the this is sustainable the way they're playing do you think they could you know play that sort of game and and beat the Packers or like do you buy the stock the Seahawks stock I mean I think they can be competitive in this game the the stats if you look at it with like Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll I think they've been together now uh, eight years I want to say and I think during that stretch there's been like I think there's been a total of five games where they haven't had a lead or been within one score in the fourth quarter it's incredible. It's like, it's like it's like this incredible run of just always competitive every game. You think they're out of it. They claw back a little bit. They might still lose. And, and again, even when you feel like they should blow somebody out a lot of times, they let them hang around and they get a little conservative. So, yeah, I think they can be competitive in this game. They're not a great team, but I, I mean, who would you like if you're a, a defensive coordinator? I mean, who would you want to go against less than Russell Wilson? in a playoff game, you know, they're just sort of comfortable in that chaotic type of game where even if it's third and 17 and you feel like you have them right where you want them, uh, he finds a way to make a play. And the way DK Metcalf is playing, Tyler Lockett looks healthier out of the slot. So uh, I would just hope, and I, and I know Seahawks fans would really, most of them would feel this way that they don't get conservative in this game. And they say, you know what? Our best shot is for Russell Wilson to make plays if we're going to lose, let's kind of go out swinging and put the ball in his hands. Cause you even saw against the Eagles. I mean, Travis Homer and Mar Marshawn Lynch. I mean, those guys got nothing going on the ground. So uh, I know that's how Pete Carroll wants to play, but I think they've got to look at this and say, you know what, that's not going to be our best chance to win. I think last couple of thoughts here from me, Shio, is that um, I, I tweeted this out uh, on my Twitter handle during the game, but um, I felt like people were kind of up in arms that Lamar Jackson was not the unanimous all pro first team quarterback. And it was three people who did not vote for him. I won't ask you for who your vote was for, <laughs> but um, there were three people who did not vote for uh, Lamar Jackson to be the unanimous first team all pro. And I said, well, those other three votes had to go to Russell Wilson. And for me, I think Russell Wilson was that guy all season long and it was just a, to a point where it got to like December and I'm like, all right, Lamar Jackson, you got it. You won it. You, you're, you're good. 
But, I mean, Russell Wilson has had one of the greatest seasons that we've seen from a quarterback. It just kind of – it's – I guess it's something that kind of gets pushed over because they weren't the one number one seed in the uh, NFC. They weren't the you know the best record in the NFL. But I thought Russell Wilson stood up to what Lamar Jackson was able to do, and maybe even did a little bit more. And I thought this game showed some of the reasons why you know some of those voters did not give all the votes to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, you know, uh, full disclosure, I don't have a vote, but (laughs) if I I did, I would have voted for for Lamar Jackson. I, I think for like nine or ten weeks. It was very close, and maybe you could have given Russell Wilson the edge. I I think what you're saying is right, that once it got to maybe the last four, five, six weeks of the season, and Lamar Jackson just kept going, and the Seahawks were a little bit more up and down. But even then, I mean, you look at, you know, we talked about uh, Tom Brady's weapons, and even a guy like DK Metcalf, like if he were on another team, uh, would he just be playing this well, or I, I, I sometimes think you have to give the quarterback credit for that, you know, willing to trust the receiver and they form a rapport and all those different types of things. But uh, yeah, certainly when he's uh, at his best and he was for a lo- long stretch this season, um, Russell Wilson was playing as well as anybody. And I thought, uh, I thought that game on Sunday, even though they only scored 17 points, it felt like a game where if the Eagles were scoring, like the Seahawks could have kept being one score ahead, if that makes, you know, like if they needed to win 31-27, I think they would have won that game 31-27. Hey, thanks again, Shio. Appreciate the knowledge. And uh, I guess, Ted, we just turned straight to previewing now, right? After we listened to, you know, what he thought uh, about last week. What do you think about this week now, Ted, as we start to look forward of possible conference championship matchups? But you got to get to the division around first and I think the first game that we'll see on Saturday, the Vikings traveling to San Francisco to take on the 49ers. Right now, the 49ers are the favorite in this football game. But I think I want to look at this a little bit differently, Ted, all right? I think he's been the same. I think he's always just steadily climbed each opportunity. Every time he's gotten more opportunities, he's only gotten better. I know when he's had bad games, he's always learned from them and come back and respond. So uh, I think he's just been given the right opportunity whenever he has been given the right opportunity. I think he's shown people he's one of the better quarterbacks in this league. I want to ask you these two questions. How do the Vikings win this game? The Vikings, I mean, their their defensive line, they have to play lights out. I mean, they have to really run with, uh, you know, get outside on those gaps on the outside zone, penetrate, cause some trouble in the run game. And they have to be able to get pressure with four um, against Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so they, they played a really good game against the Saints, uh, but the Saints are more of a, a power run team. Uh, we'll see how they are able to match up with the, with the Niners' outside zone game. And they have to be good against play action, too. We all know that both of these teams are heavy play action teams. So those linebackers and safeties, you know, when you're playing quarters and, you know, you're a safety, they're playing, they play a lot of too high. And you want to come in that come inside the box and defend a run. You have to be extremely disciplined, or else they're going to punish you deep. Um, so, yeah, the, the the Vikings really have to be great with their eye discipline uh, when it comes to playing this Niners team, who have you know Kyle Shanahan as good as anybody, drawing up these play action concepts and taking advantage of holes in your defense. And he's going to have a bi- he had a whole bye week to really work on plays and scheme against you too. So the Vikings have defense. It's a big challenge in front of them. So that was the first question. My second question would be, how do the Vikings lose this game? The Vikings lose this game if Kirk Cousins 
reverts back to you know the Kirk Cousins we, we've we've seen that kind of could struggle in these these big games. Uh, they they need Kirk Cousins to be on his A game this week because I I just don't think the Niners are gonna um, kind of fall flat like the Saints did. I, I think the Niners are gonna be ready to go. They're gonna score some points, and the Vikings' offense is gonna have to uh, keep up with them. Well, I think if how the Vikings win this game, Ted. I think the Vikings will win this game if they do this. Keep handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook. He has to be uh, the weapon in which they envisioned for him. I really look at over the last, I would say, maybe month for the 49ers, right? They haven't really seen a dynamic back such as a Dalvin Cook. I think when they went to Baltimore, it was more of the offense, right? It was Lamar mixed in with Ingram and the tight ends. So that was a little bit different. But I looked at the last month of the season for the 49ers. And, you know, the Saints, uh, a team that they beat, not necessarily have a dynamic. They have a dynamic runner um, in Alvin Kamara. But he wasn't, you know, in that game, he wasn't, you know, really big. Atlanta, who beat them, not necessarily has dynamic uh, with the type of guys that they have right now. The Rams, obviously, we know are a little bit down. And then the Seahawks, they were beat up, right? That was a game in which, you know, pretty much Marshawn Lynch was out there with Travis Homer. And so the Vikings can win this game by Dalvin Dalvin Cook being special, right? He's going to have to run the ball effectively, but also he's going to have to do some things out of the backfield. And that's the one part where if I'm Minnesota and I see Quan Alexander out there, He's been away for a little bit, so he could have some rust. Is that an opportunity for us to take advantage of that? And so do the 49ers kind of counter that with bringing Quan Alexander along slowly, right? First game back for a guy has been out with a pectoral injury, you know, maybe a little bit excited, but we can look back to the last week's game in the wildcard round for the Houston Texans. J.J. Watt played really well coming back from pectoral injury, um, and so that's the part where I think if there's an edge, right, I think it's the Minnesota Vikings for them. If they find that there's an advantage, it may be just running the football and really just taking up a ton of time, right? Kirk Cousins can be the game manager of the year this weekend if he just takes care of the football and really plays balanced on third down. I think that's what it comes down to is they're going to have to do some things first and second down scheme-wise and they're going to need a big play from Stephon Diggs. I see a double pass in there, right? I see something because they're going to have to find a way to get the ball on a couple big strikes, kind of similar to how they beat the New Orleans Saints. And then how do they lose the game, right? I say that they lose the game kind of to what you mentioned, Ted. They lose the game because Kirk Cousins, um, in a primetime situation, in a big game, um, just falls a little bit short, right? The $84 million guaranteed contract for the guy who they need to lead in the times of where the team is not working, right? That's what the franchise quarterback is. That's what the big time quarterbacks making all the money is that special teams may not be working defense, probably not where you want it to be, but man, I got the guy that who can make things right. And that's where Kirk cousins has to be right. And that's how they lose a the game. If he's not right. And so now as we flip it to the Francisco 49ers side, Ted, same two questions. How do the 49ers win? How do the 49ers lose this game? 49ers win this game if George Kittle could really take advantage of those mm. uh, Vikings linebackers. And they, they had trouble against Jared Cook. And if they had trouble against Jared Cook, they're going to have a lot of trouble against uh, George Kittle. And it's just, it's just the way this defense is structured uh, that 
tight ends can take advantage of those those big inside linebackers on the inside. Uh, so we'll see how they adjust their scheme to Kittle, but they definitely can't just come out in their base defense expect to stop Kittle. Um, and if to win this game, they're really going to ha- have to find a way to stop Griffin and Hunter against Joe Staley. I mean, Joe Staley has played really well throughout the years, but he just has not played well during this season. And I don't know if it's because he's you know he has dealt with some injuries or age is starting to catch up to him. But the way those defensive ends played against the Saints, I'd be really worried about that matchup as well. So if Staley can contain those guys, obviously it'll be big. If he can't, it'll, it could be a long day for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and as far as losing this game, you know, it, it goes back to Kirk Cousins as well. Uh, but they have to stop these receivers. Um, you know, if they can't stop Adam Thielen, they can't stop Stefan Diggs, then th- they're going to lose this game. I mean, those guys make, you know, they're so good at getting those big plays, so good at route running and getting open. Uh, I think Richard Sherman is going to be able to handle his own, e- even though he could have l- – Sherman – the, the the guys he has trouble with are the really shifty little jitterbug type of receivers, and, and Diggs as good good as anybody at uh, you know running routes and being sh- and being uh, deceptive. But I think he'll be able to hold his own. The, the, the big question is the second corner, whether it's Witherspoon or Mosley, mm-hmm. uh, can they handle Thielen and, and Diggs? Yeah, I think to, to answer the two questions on how the 49ers win this game, I think they win this game with Emmanuel Sanders. This is why you got him. Mm-hmm. I think, obviously, the attention will be on George Kittle. I mean, we know that. If, if I want to stop the 49ers, I, I got to stop number 85, first of all. And then also, to the three-headed monster at running back. Right, They're going to have three different guys who are going to be rotating, but I really feel it's going to be Emmanuel Sanders, right? Mixed in with a little Debo, right? Because I, I honestly believe that the corners um, – you know, for the Vikings right now, Xavier Rhodes, I mean, two years ago, you know, was an all-pro guy. This year, I mean, he's over to getting beat by uh, Deontay Harris on a throw from Taysom Hill, right? Like, you got to understand that there's certain things within the secondary that I just, uh, I'm not, you know, fully invested in with the Minnesota Vikings. And that's how I think that the Vikings can will lose because the, the 49ers will win this game doing that. The 49ers will lose, Ted. They'll lose because Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't take care of the football. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo takes too many sacks for me. He's a guy that uh, holds the ball a little bit long, and you cannot do that with Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin, right? Those guys, we saw it last week, Drew Brees, an experienced first ballot Hall of Famer, try to buy just a little bit more time within the pocket, and we saw what happened. Those guys, they're ball hogs. We saw they they're not trying to hit the quarterback. They're trying to take the ball away from the quarterback. And that's what happens. I've seen Jimmy a lot of times in games, right? He holds the ball, sits there, and he takes a lot of sacks trying to allow some things to develop. So I think the timing is going to have to really mean get the ball out quickly for Jimmy Garoppolo and not hold on it too long. If the 49ers don't do that, that's how they'll lose this game on a couple turnovers by Jimmy Garoppolo. But, Ted, I got to ask you, who's going to win this game? I mean, what's your, what's your, what's your score? Who's going to win this game? I like I like the Niners. I, you know, the Niners are playing at home. Uh, like I said, Shanahan has a bye week to uh, to, to game plan against this Vikings defense. Um, and yeah, I just don't know if Cousins could keep up with this Niners offense. So I'm I'm gonna say the Niners are gonna win this game. Yeah, I got the Niners winning as well. I think that they win this game. 
31-23. Uh, I think that we'll get a lot of scoring um, in this game. Um, just because I feel like the 49, like you mentioned, it had a couple weeks off. Shanahan's going to have some plays, right? Whether it's Kyle Juszczyk throwing an option play, uh, Debo Samuel, some reverses, some throwback screens, a lot of ton of stuff that you give Kyle Shanahan two weeks to prepare. Um, I like the 49ers' chances in this football game. Lamar Jackson had week 17 off. Lamar Jackson had this week off. You don't let a dog rest like that. You don't just sit a Lamborghini, man, in the garage like that. You, you got to keep that thing running. He may be a bit rusty, but he makes this whole offense go. Now, if you could run the ball effectively like they just did and keep him off the field, that will pay dividends. But the problem is, oh, they're going to put eight in the box. You know why? Because they got two dogs out there on the corner that can flat out cover. Moving forward, the uh, Saturday night cap game, right? The uh, number one seed in the AFC, right? We just talked about the number one seed in the NFC, but the number one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens take on the Tennessee Titans. And um, I think a lot has been said about the Tennessee Titans and you know what they did a week ago. And now they got to slay another dragon in the Baltimore Ravens. So, Ted, we can start with the Tennessee Titans first. How does Tennessee win this game? Tennessee, they have to be extremely disciplined with stopping the option. And it, it, it hurts not having a bye week against the Ravens because, really, you need at least two weeks to really uh, prep yourself for this type of offense. And it's going to be a totally different game than what they saw in New England. Um, and we talked about it before, uh, before but... Yeah, it, it almost seemed like the Titans' defense knew what was coming against the Patriots. Correct. Uh, but against the Ravens, it's it's going to be a totally different game. It, they're going to be not – they don't have that much practice against the zone read. Uh, so it will it'll be a big challenge to play option defense, assignment defense against um, the Ravens. And Ryan Tannehill has to be better against the Blitz. Uh, he – historically during his career he's been really bad against the blitz mm -hmm. this year he's played better against the blitz but against the patriots he looked like he he just didn't know what to do against the blitz i mean he passed for less than 100 yards in that in that game and we know the ravens with martindale your your old coach he, yeah, he's gonna blitz the heck out of him and if he can't handle the blitz the the titans aren't gonna move the ball all right so that's how they win how do they lose the game now the titans lose the game if if Tannehill can't handle the blitz i mean if you know if he is throwing interceptions and if he's just clueless and running around taking sacks against uh the blitz i just don't see how uh, they're going to be able to move the ball uh titans win this game ted by honestly what we saw last week um it's it's a monster right and the monster wears number 22 the name's derrick henry um just if they're able to run the football the way that they did against New England. And we're talking about a guy that rushed for 180 yards, right? But the NFL tells me that, okay, the Baltimore Ravens aren't going to allow that to happen. But Tennessee is going to say, you know what? We are going to do this because this is our identity. And with that being said, the identity for them is running the football with Derrick Henry. And I think that's how they shorten the game up. They take uh, you know, a lot of the time away. It's almost, to me too as well, um, Who's the tougher team? That's what it comes down to in this matchup. 
Like the Tennessee Titans have to be bullies. They're coming in as the underdog, but they're coming in. They're going to have to push the Baltimore Ravens around because I think if we talked about right now, Ted, of the eight teams, right, the final eight teams in the National Football League playoffs right now, would I be far fetched in saying that the number two, the, the teams ranked number one and two in terms of toughest teams would be the Ravens and the Tennessee Titans? Yeah, I, I think so. Like I, when I would you look at that. everybody else, it's kind of I'm not saying that they're finesse, <laughs> but mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that they're soft. But I think that these are the two most physical teams and they're two toughest teams. So that's how the Titans win this. They just got to be tougher. Now the Titans, you know how they lose this game? They lose this game by getting beat over the top. And this is where the tight end plays come in. This is where Andrews mm. comes in, right? This is where hey, uh, Hurst comes in, right? This is where that they're going to have, you know, with Jay and Brown, the, the linebacker who went out last week's game uh, with the shoulder injury. I don't know how effective he'll be this week, but the tight end position for the Baltimore Ravens is going to be key. It's going to be huge, right? Love Kenny Vaccaro, but Kenny Vaccaro covering tight ends, man. Come on, man. It's like Carl Joseph. Like, come on. Yeah, that's not what you want, right? So I think that's how they lose this game is not having the the guys who can cover uh, these tight ends, you know, for the Baltimore Ravens. That's how they lose. I think when you look at the Baltimore Ravens and how they win this game, just stay true to who they are offensively. It's going to be the Lamar Jackson show. They're going to run, and like you mentioned, they're going to have the option plays. They're going to have so many different plays, and I think this is where Lamar Jackson learns from a year ago, right? Being in the playoffs in that situation and getting beat down by the Los Angeles Chargers, almost at San Diego, but by the Los Angeles Chargers, I think that that's what kind of propelled him this year, this offseason, to get better, get stronger, get faster, learn the offense a little bit more. And I think that that experience from last year carries over to this year. And I think he'll be great making decisions with the football. But I just think that with their identity of running the football, it is about that push up front, right? They got a couple all-pro guys along the offensive line. That's how this team is going to win this game. How they lose this game, they're going to lose this game. I think if if the corners on the outside, they get a little too nosy. Marcus Peters, an all-pro guy, Jimmy Smith on the other side. These guys start to try to gamble a little bit. If they get lulled to sleep and Tannehill takes a couple shots deep, that's how they, all you need is one or two plays that can change the momentum of a game or change the scoring of the game. That's what kind of scares me is Marcus Peters gambling a little bit, Jimmy Smith you know, getting a little too handsy, and all of a sudden the ball gets over their heads for a touchdown or a score. And that's where this game can really change. So that's how I think the Baltimore Ravens lose this game. And, Ted, now I go to you. Uh, score and who wins this game? I, li- I like the Ravens. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned the Ravens' deep passing game. It, you know, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, also has a couple weeks to get healthy, too. Correct. He's been banged up the, the whole season. Uh, so if he's healthy, that speed really adds another dimension to this Ravens' offense. And I think that they learned from last year where they're gonna is they're gonna be true to themselves, but they're also gonna have a new package of plays that we haven't seen from them this season yet that could could be really interesting and hard to match up with for the Titans. Uh, so I'm gonna say the the Ravens win this game, uh, thirty five to twenty one. I I I think. This is a, a mismatch. I think the Ravens will uh, win this one uh, with by a couple touchdowns. Yeah, I got the uh, Ravens winning this game too. I think you know they pretty much have a uh, you know they just got it's their year, man. I really do. I feel like they're a Super Bowl team, um, and they need this game to kind of get over the hump a little bit from last year. 
They've already got to the divisional round, so they kind of uh, were they uh, a step further than they did a year ago. But I think Lamar Jackson, the the MVP, the first team All Pro quarterback, has himself a game, and um, I I have the Ravens winning this one in a low scoring affair. Though I think that they're winning it twenty seven to twenty. Every team I think changes throughout the season. They develop their personality, and we've all got the highs and the lows, and you know you kind of work through that. And then here you sit. So we're not the same as we were at the beginning. They're not the same as they were at the beginning. So here we go. Okay, now we go to the Sunday matchups, Ted. And this is now one in which uh, I didn't see uh, last week uh, coming. I didn't think that the Texans, um, I I knew that they would win. But you started to see like, oh, man, I could see Buffalo now winning throughout the game. But as we look at the Texans traveling to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Chiefs obviously favored in this game, but there's still like this thing in the back of my mind that feels me like the Texans still have a a game in front of them in terms of like like playing a perfect game because that's what I think that they're going to need. They can't have these luster, uh, lackluster performances in the first half that we talked about earlier. They got to come out and play play better. And I think this is one of those games that I I think Kansas City wins this game, right? But I'm trying to figure out how do the Texans win this game, Ted? Like, how do they win it? Like, what's their what's their game plan? If you're designing a game plan offensively and defensively for the Houston Texans, what do they have to do to win this game? And what happens? I mean, and how do they lose this game? I think they have to be able to run the ball and control the clock against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's how they, they won the first matchup in the regular season. They were uh, really effective running the ball and so the Chiefs' defense have improved. I just don't think their run defense has improved enough to really stop the run. But the problem with that is if you start falling behind a few touchdowns, you're not going to be able to run the ball. So for the Texans, you got to be able to run the ball, and you have to be able to get some early stops on the Chiefs because if the Chiefs come out and score 14 straight points and put you in a hole, then you know you're, you're going to be in a bad spot. Yeah, the one thing I'm I'm kind of been circling through my mind was that I think back to when these two teams played against each other. I think back in week six, and the Houston Texans actually beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, um, a lot of people forget that, um, and so I think that they won't be afraid of the environment, though, Ted. That's going to be huge, right? I think a lot of teams and look for me going to my career, going to Kansas City. Look, it is a tough place to play. It's going to be loud, but they know the environment, the Houston Texans. So how do they win this game? They win this game by understanding the environment. But also to me, it's having to be a little more to me. They got to find a way to get DeAndre Hopkins more involved in the game. They just really do. Right. And so you're going to have to get creative. Everybody knows when I go into a game, I got to stop DeAndre Hopkins. That's just okay. We get that. I get it, Bill O'Brien. Everybody's going to try to stop him. But now I need your creativity as a play caller. you got to start finding ways to get him more involved, whether it's lining him in the slot. I even line him in the backfield and motion him out. How could I do things in which I can get the one-on-one or not even get the one-on-one, just something in which I have so many guys that influence him and then Kenny Stills can step up a little bit, right? That's how they win this game is being more creative and getting DeAndre. If I had to throw it to him 30 times, he is the best player on my offense outside of my quarterback. So I have to find a way to get him the ball, and I couldn't go to sleep at night knowing that I didn't get him enough touches. That's how I think that they win this game. They lose this game 
I think, honestly, it's the offensive line, right? We saw Laramie Tunsil. We, we, you know, we saw, you know, the, the the other side, Fulton, and we saw Howard Martin. I mean, the guys who are along the offensive line, they've got their work cut out for them because they've also got some motivated guys on the outside for them, Frank Clark, and then the, the addition of Terrell Suggs for the, the Kansas City Chiefs. That That's just another pass rusher that now they can throw at. And now you're forcing Deshaun Watson. I'll tell you this. These Chiefs won't miss that tackle, right? I'm just telling you, like Buffalo did last week. If he, if if Deshaun Watson's in the pocket, these Chiefs aren't missing that tackle. They're sacking him down to the ground, and that's how they lose this game is that this pass rush. And I think the defense in general, we know for the Kansas City Chiefs, has played uh, to a higher, I guess, level of competition now throughout this down the stretch. And Tyron Matthew, we know, the all-pro been playing lights out as well so that's how they lose this game kansas city on the other hand to me uh well we know one thing ted i'll tell you this one thing i'm not necessarily concerned with them offensively because they're coming out of a bye week and we've talked about this on the you know the the, the run the film podcast throughout the season when andy reed comes out of a bye week a council christmas like pretty much i mean the dude is just his record speaks for itself coming out of a bye week the different plays the different things that they're going to throw at you but it's to me about consistency and who they are, right? Don't be afraid to run the football. Like I get it. Patrick Mahomes, yes, generational talent, great arm. But you're at home. You're going to get excited. You're going to be run the football. At least run it. Don't try to put this all on Patrick Mahomes' his, his shoulders, right? Because I've, I've seen it so far. In the wild card round, right? Teams that are trying to put it all on one player, a lot of those teams are at home, right? Drew Brees is at home. All right. Josh Allen, he's at home. Tom Brady, he's at home. A lot of these guys are at home for one reason, right? Carson Wentz, same thing. Well, I know he got you know injury, but still though, it's hard to just put it all on one guy, right? That's why we, we talked about the Ravens earlier. They got a team. They're gonna, it's multiple guys are gonna touch the football. I need more than Patrick Mahomes' arm winning me this game and so that's to me how the the, the chiefs can win this game is that if they uh whether that they can lose this game like i said they win this game because of andy reed just being andy reed coming off a of bye week they lose this game if they make patrick mahomes have to throw it to me the magic number for me he can't throw it more than 40 times if he throws it more than 40 times i'm telling you ted that's that's scary that has to be yeah. scary I think for the Texans, I mean, they just don't have the speed in the secondary to run with these receivers, so they are going to play off. I mean, you know, Roman Cornell is a good coach. He he knows that they're going to back off. They're going to take guys out the box. They're going to play a lot of two deep safeties. Uh, so if you, you know, if they the Chiefs see that, and I th- really think they will, they're going to have to be able to the run the ball at least efficiently. I mean, they don't have to hand the ball off, you know, 30 times or, or anything, but they have to right. be able to run the ball effectively against two high safeties because it, it's just, you know, even with Patrick Mahomes, it, it's too much to ask to for a quarterback to uh, beat two deep safeties over and over again, especially when they're backing off. And I, I think the Texans are, are going to back off because they just, I mean, they can't play bump and run man-to-man against Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, uh, Sammy Watkins. They just don't have the guys to do it. So if they're going to back off and take away the pass, you're going to be able have to be able to run the ball. And Reed has to be disciplined enough to run the ball. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Remember, you know, like like I always like to say, right, 
some it's not yard, not about yards, it's about touches. You know, sometimes it's about about touches, not about the yards. You oh, he didn't rush for much. Yeah, but they still ran the ball 35 times. Like that's 35 opportunities for you to control the clock, control the game. So, uh, Ted, I'm going to ask you again, who's going to win this game? And what's the score? I think Chiefs will win this game. They're playing at home and Reed's record after a bye week is just too good to ignore here. And, uh, the, the Texans have playing good, but you know, Watson's kind of been carrying them. I just don't know if they have enough to take them over the hump against, uh, this Chiefs team. Uh, I say Chiefs will win this one. 31 to 24. Oh, man, we are on point. <laughs> you know, that's the score <laughs> of the last game, right? Except the Houston Texans won 31 and the Chiefs had 24. I'm right there with you. I think Kansas City 30 and I think the uh, Houston Texans 24. I think this is going to be a lot closer game than a lot of people think. I think that this, of all the games, this may be the closest one of all of them because I can see the Chiefs sputtering just a little bit and the Houston Texans coming out on fire and then eventually the Texans, I mean the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, take over. Uh, our final game for this divisional round weekend approaching, Ted. They're tough when they're away from their home stadium, which is kind of an outlier in this league, especially when you look at the home field advantage that they have with the, with their fans, with their stadium. And hopefully we get our fans nice and loud this weekend and we'll have quite a home field advantage here. It's the Seattle Seahawks traveling to Green Bay, Wisconsin to take on the Green Bay Packers, Ted. And wow, uh, two teams, very, uh, I guess, different styles of play for sure. And I'll, I'll present it to you like I have did this, this podcast so far. Um, what do the, the Seahawks do, or how do they win, and how do they lose? Uh, the Seahawks win by taking advantage of this Packers run defense, and it's kind of uh, kind of been a story in this playoffs. The teams that can run have you know have been able to take advantage of the the bad run defenses in the league, and the Packers have a really good pass defense, uh, but they've given a lot of yards up on the ground and. Yeah, the Seahawks have a lot of injuries with the running backs, but they have Marshawn Lynch, and he had that awesome carry. Uh, so they're going to go into a hostile environment in, in Lambeau, and if they can run the ball well against this Packers defense, I, th- I think they have a chance to win this game. Yeah, I see the the way that the uh, Seattle Seahawks win this game. It's just going to be on third down. I think Russell Wilson um converting third downs right we know the smith twins right no relation but zadarius and preston uh those guys this is what they paid you for right these guys are going to be crucial in this game and this is where russell wilson has to neutralize those guys if they if he's able to get out of the pocket and convert i would say just four first downs on his own right just scrambling right that those to me is how this game can be won by seattle right they're going to force feed the run we know DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett are going to be, you know, huge weapons for him. But, you know, I, I think that the Kansas City will have a plan for that. But the one plan that they don't, you, you can't plan for is the, you know, a guy who improvises like a Russell Wilson, just puts the team on his back and makes the plays. That's how they win. Uh, how they lose this game, um, I honestly believe that it, it's 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 a situation in which Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, right, A-Rod and A-Jones, those two guys – this tandem, right, these two, that that's how they win this game, right? Because now you're going to force Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright. They're going to have to be huge because Aaron Jones, to me, is 
obviously should get some more votes for the offensive player of the year now. I know that's going to be far-fetched because you had so many guys who had great years, but I think he had a great year, yet it's still an under-the-radar guy. But I think that's how the Seahawks lose this game, right? It's because of Aaron Jones running wild out of the backfield and running the football. Yeah, and I'm going to sound a little contradictory with with my answer to that question, but I think if the Packers load up the box mm -hmm. against the Seahawks, Schottenheimer has to can't be afraid of letting Russell Wilson just take over the game and go heavy play action and yeah. and let him you know let him try to beat this Packers defense if they're playing a lot of one high eight man in the box. Uh, don't last year they got kicked out of the playoffs because they tried to run establish a run too much against the the Cowboys, Cowboys. Right. and you know even though Russell Wilson was averaging like eight yards per pass they just kept on running. Um, running into a loaded box. So if the Packers are loading the box, you ha you cannot be afraid to let Russell Wilson just do his thing. And he's gotten you here. He, he he's been playing at an MVP level this whole season. Don't be afraid of letting Russell Wilson take over the game. No, I, that's, I agree. And look, I think that that's what we saw in the last play, right? The, uh, the third down backed up and just said, Hey, Russell, let's go throw one, make a play. Uh, and obviously DK Metcalf jumps up out of nowhere and makes the play. But I do want to see more of that within the game, though, right? Within, like you mentioned, uh, in between the 20s or the, or the 30s, those types of plays allowing Russell to sometimes just play backyard football. Uh, Green Bay Packers, they win this game, I, I think, um, more so the offensive line, right? Jadavian Clowney, those guys start to ramp it up a little bit. Um, they feel that they're healthy enough, and this is what they're healthy for, right? The, this is why Seattle tried to make some additions to that defensive line to get some rush. And if they can get Aaron Rodgers just a little bit flustered, right, then to me they, they've done their job. But I think the offensive line is probably as healthy as it's been all year for Aaron that's how they win this game, right? That offensive line, if they're healthy and they give Aaron Rodgers enough time, we already know he can carve you up. So I, I like that his offensive line is healthy enough. And then I think the one thing that really, to me, uh, is how they lose this game, because I've mentioned kind of each team has a three-headed monster, right? But I know about A-Rod and I know about Aaron Jones. Devontae Adams great, but... Who's going to be the guy that steps up? Is it Valdez Scantling? Is it going to be uh, Allison? Is it going to be Lazard? Like, who, well, who's that next receiver, right? We talked about it with the Texans game a little bit earlier. You take away D-Hop, tell me who can you do it? Because right now, the tight end's about as fast as me right now. So, <laughs> you know, Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis, a couple of buddies of mine, friends of mine. But look, hey, um, it has to be another guy to step up. And that's how I think that they lose this game of, of not being able to have another guy go out there and make the big play because they're going to look every, everybody knows that, right? If me and you are making a game plan right now, we're saying stop freaking Devonte Adams. All right. Do not allow Devonte Adams to torch us. So I think that's kind of where I'm leaning towards in this game. Uh, if they did lose. So um, of this matchup, Ted, who do you have winning and what's the score? I think it's going to be a close game. I think this is. I think this will be actually the closest game. I mean, the key for Rodgers is he has to be patient against this Seattle type of defense that takes him underneath passes and get the ball out on on time. I mean, he he's, hasn't really played well in the last month just because he's been trying to hold on to the ball, waiting for the big play. Uh, so I think Rodgers has to be kind of change his game up a little bit and get rid of the ball a little quicker. Uh, but I, I think the Packers will win this one. 
but I think it's going to be close. I, I can see like a, a 27-24 type of game. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I got the Packers winning. They're at home. I think the magic for Seattle uh, kind of runs out. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately, I forgot to kind of even mention this as well, they've been getting a lot out of that running game enough in, in a situation where it's more touches than yards, right, with Homer throwing in Turbin and, and Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch by the goal line. But I think that they're going to have to need more. They're going to need a lot more or else it's just going to be Russell Wilson by himself. And if it's by himself, that's why I think that they lose this game. Green Bay goes on and wins this game. I think twenty, I think twenty-four to thirteen. That's why I think. I think this it's going to be tough for the Seahawks to get a ton of points in this game. They're going to kick some field goals. Um, that's why I see it that way. Green Bay winning, and I think that's how how I see uh, you know the conference championships. That's how I, I believe it to be right now. I got Kansas City taking on Baltimore. Uh, in the AFC, and I think, you know, the two one seeds, Niners, Packers, uh, for the right to get to Miami. That's how I see it, Ted. Is that how you see it going into the championship weekend? Yep, I think we agree, and we just hope that we have a, a slate of games that were as good as they were during the, the wild card weekend in the divisional round. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, man. Hey, this was fun, like always, man. Always the, uh, appreciate the time. This has been the Run the Film podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. For myself, Kirk Morrison. For my guy, Ted Nguyen. We out, y'all. Talk to y'all championship weekend. Peace. See you guys later.